Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about sexy assassins, sexy horses, and sockdologizing old man traps so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Killing Lincoln by Bill O'Reilly. Joining us to discuss this Fox News-approved biography and its equivalent children's book is Caitlin, archivist and certified master of the art of history. Welcome, Caitlin. Hi. We should have, I think we could fill a bingo card now with, like, spellings of Caitlin that have appeared (laughs) in Worst Bestsellers. Because just to be clear, this is Caitlin with a C and an I. But not the same Caitlin with a C and an I who was our guest for Christmas Sweater and the Mistletoe Promise. Different Caitlin. Yeah, Yeah. and definitely not Caitlin with an A-T-E. Nope, that was Not that one. Totally additional Caitlin. Totally not that one. And yeah, then, no, uh, different Caitlins. <laughs> yeah, but not the not the usual. I mean, the regular Kate is also here. Yes. So it was also, in case you didn't know, a Caitlin. But moving oh my on. God. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to start off with some thrilling Caitlin trivia. <laughs> <laughs> and now the whole episode is going to be downhill from that. <laughs> yeah, let's just sign off. It's done. We're done. <laughs> Next episode, Killing Caitlyn. <laughs> <laughs> only the strongest can survive. There can only be one. We're like Highlanders. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so as as Kate with a K said, uh, we did read Killing Lincoln and the, also the children's adaptation, which is called Lincoln's Last Days. And they, this is a thing that's happening more and more narrow now where a popular adult book will get published and then they'll come out with a young readers edition. Sometimes they'll do it twice. Like, um, the, the boy who harnessed the wind was an adult nonfiction book. And then there was a picture book version. And then also a young readers edition. That's kind of that middle grade, fifth to eighth grade level. Yeah, they did the same thing with Three Cups of Tea, was they had, like, Three Cups of Tea, the Young Reader's Edition, and then Three Cups of Tea, the picture book. Yeah. And then they had to rescind all of them because none of it was real. (laughs) (laughs) You can make that argument about this book, too, though. (laughs) Yeah. But I I don't think Bill O'Reilly has apologized for this the way that, um, what's his name, Mr. Three Cups of Tea did. Yeah. Yeah. He should. Yeah. Absolutely, he should. Um, So for various reasons, so Caitlin had suggested that we do this book and we weren't sure if we were going to do the adult or the children's. And basically it kind of shook out to time. Renata and I are both very busy right now. So we decided to kind of split it down the middle and Caitlin was going to read at least the adult version, if not, and also the children's version, if she had time, we were going to read the children's version and the adult version if we had time. And if I recall correctly, Caitlin did read the children's version. Renata listened to part of the adult version, and I just read the children's version. Actually, I did finish. I listened to all of the adult version, but I listened to it at 1.5 speed. <laughs> so I didn't process all of it, probably. But I did, I did technically complete the audiobook. (laughs) You can add it to your Goodreads. And I will. And I will. It's accomplished. I've got a goal to meet, and I gotta count every book. (laughs) Yeah. So if if you're not familiar, Bill O'Reilly has 
been doing this fucking thing where he writes these biographies called Killing Blank, and they're, like, biographies of people who were assassinated, but also of Reagan, who was not actually killed, so it's kind of misleading, but he he wrote it. Hey, that's right, Duarte. You should not be called that. <laughs> so, Lincoln was the first one that he wrote, and also... Um, we're coming up on the anniversary of the Lincoln assassination, so being nerds, we're like, we'll commemorate that. Um, I think it was the the 15th? April 15th? The 14th. The 14th. Fuck. Also, I just I read two taxes, books about yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think he was assassinated on the 14th, but he died on the 15th. That's true. That's true. Oh, good. Great. So. <laughs> um, but like, before, we're both right. <laughs> before we actually get into the book, um, I just want to revisit a trip that Renata and I took like a decade ago. Yep. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Where I was visiting Renata out in Illinois and we decided to go to all of the Lincoln related things that were within driving distance. I, uh- I mean, there's so many. We didn't go to all of them, yeah. Kate, but we went so, to the big ones, yeah. <laughs> such um, as the Abraham Lincoln Memorial Presidential Library. Yes, and also the the Homestead. Was it? Uh, no. We went to the. You know, it doesn't matter. We're talking about the museum. We went to something yeah. else. And I don't think it was that, but the museum had been recently redone, and they put like holograms and stuff in it, and it's awesome. But also, they have, like, realistic wax figurines, like a little mini Madame Tussauds of, like, the Lincoln family and a few other figures, and they're all kind of, like, happily posed. And then we were joking, like, I wonder if there's a wax, uh, wax booth. Don Wilkes booth. <laughs> and guess what, guys? There, there it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like creepily like leaning against like a wax tree or something like 10 feet away from the Lincolns, just like perpetually lurking there with murderous intent. <laughs> was was so, he sexy while he was lurking there or? Probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's in the eye of the beholder. Um, I'm going to try to dig up. I know he took pictures but this was an olden time, so I'm not sure if they are digital. But I'll try to find them and post them so you can see sexy John Wilkes Wax Booth. John Wax the Booth. Other... John Wax Booth. John Wax That's the joke. <laughs> Gotta get that locked down. <laughs> the other anecdote, which is why I was trying to remember the other place that we went, because um, like the Lincoln Museum was done by the National Park Service or something. But the other place, the family of Mary Todd Lincoln had something to do with it. So at the first place we went, there was a lot of, and then Robert Todd Lincoln, that asshole, locked poor Mary Todd up for forever. Oh, yeah. Because he thought she was insane and didn't want to deal with her. And it was this whole big spiel. And then we went to the museum and they were like, yeah, fucking Mary Todd was crazy. Yeah, they just, they locked her away. She just, she lost it when all her family died. And the the juxtaposition of those two things was pretty funny to us at the time and to me still. Oh, I know. We went to, um, so they were both in Springfield. I think it's the house that, like, they lived in when he was a senator or something like that. Or his law offices also. Yeah. That stuff. It's not, because the homestead's in Indiana. 
Anyway, Lincoln did a lot of stuff, and we here in the Midwest love Lincoln, so anything that he ever touched is now a monument. So if you were going <laughs> to do a full-on Lincoln tourist trip of the Midwest, it would take weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you would like to do that, come visit me, because I live near a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, we're like that in Boston with basically everything. Everything that can be called the first whatever is called the first whatever. The first church on a north-facing hill underneath a pine tree in Boston ever. Mm-hmm. Like, But did Lincoln ever visit it? Probably not. So, fuck it. <laughs> so, okay, let's... let's uh, Back away from uh, travel talk with Renata and Kate, although that should be a separate <laughs> podcast. Uh, and <laughs> uh, right off the bat, I want to say that of the, I think we've read four Fox News books, and this is the best one, or I guess five, if you count both of them. These are the best two, and they're the the ones that are least offensive to me. I think, like, if you compare this to, like, the Rush Revere children's book, where that, like, so obviously had this gross agenda that it was trying to put forth of, like, uh, the Pilgrims hated socialism, and socialism would ruin America, and if the Pilgrims had been socialist, America would not even exist today, and it just, like, so clearly had this contemporary moral that he was trying to ascribe to it, and with this, I mean, it's not good, it's not good but it didn't I don't know what I couldn't I was looking out for like a conservative agenda being pushed at me through it and I really didn't I mean I guess except for the America is great and like Lincoln is great but that's sort of neutral almost at this point like everybody pretty much agrees that Lincoln was pretty great so that didn't feel as aggressive to me Yeah, I feel the same way. I was definitely looking for it. And even up until I started reading it, like kept telling everyone like, oh, I have to read this Bill O'Reilly children's book. It's going to be garbage. But, you know, I felt I agreed. I didn't really feel like there was a clear agenda that he was trying to use this to prove. And additionally, unlike the Rush Revere book and some of the other books that we've read written by famous adults who are not children's writers, whoever helped him with this... I felt like writing wise, like it was on a solid reading level. It was not especially condescending. It was not especially like poorly written from a a children's standpoint. Like it wasn't too babyish for the the audience. It wasn't too adult for the audience. There was some stuff that he probably should have cited and clarified a little bit. But on the whole, it was pretty solid as a children's book. Okay, I feel like calling it solid is going a little bit too far the other (laughs) way. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, I guess the most I'm going to give it is okay in an aggrieved tone and not terrible. (laughs) Good. Yeah, like, I I didn't want to stab myself in the face, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I, I found it offensive more on a historical level in that it's just the, the adult version, at least. The kids' version is actually better, which is weird. I, but, well, yeah, the adult version was actually just, like, 
badly written and full of cliches. But oh, yeah, not... the adult one has so many cliches. But I also think that the children's version is more bland. Like, what I liked best about the adult version was the random, like, coincidences and, like, sexy happenings. And I totally get why you don't want the sexy happenings in the children's one. But I feel like he stripped out most of, like, the interesting little quirks. Yeah. It was definitely more boring, but it was also more readable. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a, a fair trade-off. Yeah, so that's kind of the trade-off. But yeah, I, I didn't find it as bad as I thought it would be, which I actually find kind of disturbing mm-hmm. um, in its own way. Yeah. Like, I thought it'd be worse. <laughs> definitely thought it'd be worse. But still, let, let's be clear, it wasn't good, and maybe we can jump no. in. Mm-hmm. One thing, okay, in the first... In the adult version, it starts off with so many pages of military history of, like, the last few battles of the Civil War that is so boring and so not necessary to the story that you're trying to tell here about Booth and Lincoln. Like, if your target, if you're doing this biography, and that it's mainly a biography of, like, both Booth and Lincoln, I think that's what he's going for. But for some reason in the adult version, he's like, but to really set it up, let me just tell you all about how desperate the Confederate Army was and how they didn't, they missed getting their rations. By the way, Bill O'Reilly reads the audiobook and he says it ration like a hundred times. And I, that's not how you say ration, is it? It was fucking no. me up. <laughs> no, it's definitely ration. Because I know I mispronounce words and sometimes when I hear other people mispronounce them, like maybe I've been wrong this whole time. But I'm like pretty confident that it's pronounced ration. Anyway, yeah. they're trying to get their rations. Uh, they're having all these, like, and then there's some kind of gross stuff about the ways that they would, like, starve and all this stuff, and it, the children's book, it's such a relief, it doesn't have that. The children's book has maybe, like, one short chapter that's, like, the Confederates were low on food, they were starving, they were desperate, and that's what brought us to the end of the Civil War, and that's about what you need to say. Yeah, basically. The adult version, I want to say it's like a good third of the book before you even get to, like, the end of the war. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and while driving on audio, like, on 1.5 speed, it was still like an hour and a half. And, I mean, I obviously haven't read the adult version, but I feel like the first, I don't know, maybe like 50 pages of the kids' version is about the end of the Civil War. That's with, like, plenty of pictures and maps and things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they do a really good job of just kind of doing the battles event by event, like, giving a narrative through them while also addressing things like the need for rations and, you know, all of the different, you know, weapons problems that they were having and choices that the generals made that were bad based on bad information where, you know, you kind of skipped through it pretty quickly. You got all the relevant information And then it moved on to the actual last days of Lincoln. Oh, I need to back up for one second because, I mean, technically it starts with the Civil War, but before that even, they both, they both start with a letter from, definitely the children's one, but they, I think they both start with a letter from Bill O'Reilly, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do. And, and this was actually what set me off looking for an agenda that I didn't really find, but the opening letter made me gasp out loud because, actually, let me just read it directly because- The part that I was like, what? America is a great country, but like every other nation on Earth, it is influenced by evil. 
John Wilkes Booth epitomizes the evil that can harm us, even as President Abraham Lincoln represents the good that can make us stronger. I think if it, I think that's basically the agenda of this book, is to show that America is good and John Wilkes Booth is evil. But yeah. also, the adult book seems really hung up on how sexy John Wilkes Booth is. <laughs> he is an evil, sexy man. Right. Um, yeah, no, that is basically his thesis statement. Is Lincoln... <laughs> Good. John Wilkes Booth, evil. America, awesome. (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, you can kind of go into a little bit of nuance, like Abraham Lincoln, maybe, although a great president and a great Midwesterner, maybe not as perfect as commonly thought, you know, he had some little weirdnesses, maybe wasn't like quite as anti-racist as you would hope, but... You know, there's a little bit of nuance, but basically saying Abraham Lincoln was a good guy, not that Mm -hmm. controversial. Saying John Wilkes Booth is a bad guy, again, not that controversial. America is awesome, I guess, is the most controversial of his three points. But it's also, like, I feel like such an ingrained part of the philosophy of that part of the country, you know, that, that faction of the country, that it's probably, and probably their least offensive ingrained philosophy that mm. it's, you know, mostly eye-rollingly harmless. Right. And America's Awesome is really kind of the background radiation of this. The first two, that Lincoln is good and Booth is bad. Those are the things that he's really trying to drive home. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, yeah, all right, I'll buy it. I can't argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in the adult one, there is a lot more sort of side notes about like, Booth and all the affairs he had and how, like, sexy Booth was and how everybody liked Booth. And it was kind of gross. Yeah. Although he also talked about how sexy Lincoln was and, like, how he had a wrestler's physique. He kept talking about Lincoln's lean torso. (laughs) (laughs) It did come across as mildly homoerotic throughout in a way that I'm not really sure why. I'm not complaining about it. (laughs) (laughs) well they i i think we were talking about this that uh john wilkes booth's fiance lucy hale who is also hella sexy Mm -hmm. um doesn't even appear in in the um kids version because it's she's just too sexy um but they talk in the adult version about how john wilkes booth got a picture of lucy from lucy and put it in his pocket along with four other pictures of women. Yes. <laughs> and and in the kids' version, there's a picture of all of those pictures laid <laughs> out. And it is wonderful. So that's one of the joys of reading both versions. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> Welcome to our world, Caitlin. <laughs> um, yeah, the adult one also, I think, does a lot more of... It trying to do a, along lines of, of Rob Lowe, trying to do a, and now you know the rest of the story thing. But he's doing it all wrong because he'll keep being like, and that was the last time Abraham Lincoln would ever see his friend Stanton. It's like, well, we know why. Because he's getting murdered tonight. Like, that's the whole premise of your book. And he keeps doing all this stuff like, that would be the last time Lincoln would blank. Or like, but Lincoln would never. And it sort of seems like he's trying to build suspense or something. But it's like, nope. We know why. Like, that's not a twist. 
And there yeah, are I, things that could be a twist or that could be surprising, but he's always doing it wrong. He's always just doing it where the twist is Lincoln dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely noticed that peppered throughout the kids' book that it would be like, you know, this great foreshadowing, suspenseful, where, where the answer was because Lincoln was going to die, as we know from U.S. history. From the title of the book. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not just some of Lincoln's days that have no significance. It's Lincoln's last days. Like, we know they are coming to an end. And they're even the chapters are time-stamped also. (laughs) The other weird recurring thing in the kids' book that, like, I was really waiting to turn into something was that there's, like, three or four different times that it talks about, like, weird, supernatural-esque coincidences surrounding his death. Like, he has this dream about a funeral at the White House that he can't find anyone and no one's looking at him, and he goes and he finds out the president died. And, like, one night he's saying goodbye to someone and they say the same thing to each other every night. But instead of saying that, this night he says goodbye instead and it really bothers the guy. And a couple other things. But then that's just, like, they're just stated in the text and then never addressed again and not even addressed in that moment. So I can't tell, like, does Bill O'Reilly think Abraham Lincoln foretold his own death? Or is he just putting that in there for no reason? I don't know. I think just anything that he thought maybe was interesting, he just dumped in the book. Because especially in the adult one, there's a whole bunch where he talks about all these really interesting conspiracy theories. And then he's like, but those were all debunked and they're definitely not true. Bye. And I'll talk about them some more, too. Yeah. And there's not, there's a little bit of that in the kids one, and it was poorly edited because the heart of the conspiracy theories, a lot of them is this guy named Templeton Baker, who was like a detective and a spy and like an all-run shady character. And in the adult version, he gets introduced earlier through having this connection with Stanton and this whole like kind of blackmailing question mark thing. And then he comes back later and he's the guy in charge of the hunt for John Wilkes Booth. And it's like, oh, holy shit, that guy was everywhere. But... In the children's version, he doesn't appear until toward the end, but then his name is just mentioned as if we know who he is, as if Templeton Baker is a very famous person. Like, as if he was like, and then, well, actually, it's again, it's like a failed the rest of the story type thing where it's like, and the detective that they called turned out to be Templeton Baker. But I actually, I read the kids version first. and I was like, who the fuck is Templeton Baker? That's not like a famous person. And I guess when they were editing it out, they're just like, well, we'll cut out all the stuff at the beginning, but we'll leave this shocking twist that it's Templeton Baker here toward the end. The kids won't notice. The kids don't know. The kids are like Templeton, like the rat from Charlotte's Web. <laughs> that is I don't a shocking that twist. <laughs> I, 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 I might be confused here. Isn't the guy, isn't it Lafayette Baker? Maybe. <laughs> Because I, think I de- definitely... Be. Yeah, because Lafayette... But then who's... Templeton is somebody, right? I don't know. Guys, Maybe he is. Edit, I, I, edit I, I all noticed... of this out. Edit all of this out. <laughs> Never mind. Because <laughs> I noticed Lafayette, because there's, there's Lafayette Baker, who was, you know, a union sympathizer and then, like, led the hunt for Booth and all that. Yeah, you're but right. I'm talking about also... that guy. 
Two. Yeah, because there was also a guy named Lafayette on the Confederate side, and I remember reading it thinking, because I'm totally the trash of the thing at this point, that like, oh, you know, God, Marquis de Lafayette would hate being, na- you know, having someone named after him who is a slave owner because he hated slavery. He would be real mad if he knew about this. <laughs> yeah, but no, th- but that's a different one. That's a different Lafayette. And then, but then I was like, oh, but there's also a... Lafayette on the, the the other side on the Union side and that's Lafayette Baker who then goes on to hold lead the hunt for Booth later right and be in a bunch of conspiracy theories but only in the adult version of the book yes which I think kids would be hella interested in the conspiracy theories and the spying and all that but it's yeah. not in their book because it's not it's fake <laughs> like it's, it's well made yeah because it's, it's yeah <laughs> It's probably for the best because it's not true, but it was like interesting. <laughs> uh, I guess that's why I'm not a history teacher. <laughs> it goes to show how what we think of this book, and that the most interesting part is like the made up shit. Yeah, completely. And, and just like, yeah, I'll make this up, and we're like, that's really cool. Well, he didn't make it up. He was just reporting oh, yeah, that yeah. other people made it up, and then he was like, but that's definitely all made up. So there was that. Um, I'm sorry. I'm looking at my notes. I read. I listened to all this very recently, and I'm clearly like still processing it, and I don't have it all correctly locked into my mind right now. That's okay. Well, where did we leave off with John Luke's booth being sexy? Yeah, I think we're still on sexy booth. Sexy booth. He's sexy. (laughs) They're also sexy horses. Uh huh. Like they talk about horses a lot. Talk about Grant's horse and Robert E. Lee's horse and all of John Wilkes Booth's horses. He's got a lot of horses. Mm-hmm. The um, very first page of the children's edition after the note from Bill O'Reilly includes the sentence in reference to Grant. Uh, he's Lee's exact opposite. Dark haired and sloppy in dress. A small introspective man who has a fondness cigar- for cigars and a close relationship with horses. Yeah. So read into that as you would like. Lock up your daughters and horses. Yep. <laughs> is what I read into it. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, oh, okay. One thing I wanted to talk about, because I only listened to the audio of the adult version. I read the print version of the children's. And Caitlin pointed out that in the adult one, they're calling... Uh, so I thought they were calling Robert E. Lee Mars Robert. And I just sort of assumed... Like, oh, maybe it's, like, Mars, like, the god of war. Like, maybe that was a nickname for Robert E. Lee that I never heard before. You know, like, I don't know, like, Stonewall Jackson or something, like, Mars Robert. I was like, okay, I guess. But apparently that's not what it was. Yeah, it's and supposed to be, like, the written approximation of kind of a, quote, southern way of them calling him Master Robert. So it's like, oh, you know, Mars Robert. <laughs> so, so it was spelled out in the book M-A-R-S-E. Like, that's yes. what's in your notes? Like, what? That's what's in my notes. That's what's what? in the book. That's gross. It, yeah, it's hella gross. And, yeah, I, I was just, that was the first sign, kind of, that I was just like, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that, it, you know, it's it's a book written about Lincoln by Bill O'Reilly, that should have been my first sign. <laughs> so the second <laughs> sign was, was the Marsh Robert, and that comes really early. And I was just like... Oh my god, no, he did not just do that. Yeah, and it is a fine line, I think, between 
over explaining and not explaining but I did feel like there could have, especially in the children's edition, I felt like there could have been just a little bit more contextualization because he would, like, talk about Booth's, um, you know, white superior, white supremacy beliefs, but just sort of drop them in there and not disclaim them in any way or be like, well, that's what the Confederates believed or, like, that's... I don't, he would just be like... And, of course, the idea of black men voting repulsed Booth. And then just move on. Like, mm, it's for children, though. I don't know. Yeah. He, he kind of does that in the adult version, too. Yeah. And when for he, the, for the adult version, I get it a little bit more. Because you assume that an adult reading this has sort of, like, taken high school history. And, like, understands it a little more. Like, the context of it. But for kids, it's like, I would appreciate it if you would con- contextualize that a little bit more. Yeah. Especially, well, actually, I mean, this came out earlier, but there has been a lot of uh, controversy and talk about the way slavery is portrayed in children's books lately with, uh, what was it, what they recalled it, but it was like, happy birthday, George Washington. George Washington's birthday cake? Yeah, that. And before that was a fine dessert, just these kind of unexamined portrayals of slavery in children's literature. And again, this was published before that, but I guess I kind of had that in mind while I was reading it. And I was like, he is really just like presenting that. I was like, well, that's the way it is without going into it at a level that I would appreciate. Although honestly, maybe I don't really want Bill O'Reilly to be the one doing that, but yeah, somebody should. Yeah. To be honest, going through it, like, my hackles were raised all through the beginning, waiting for, I don't know what, I don't know what I was waiting for, but I was waiting for some horrible racist thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And then it, it didn't really, so. No, it didn't really, but it wasn't, it could have been yeah. less racist. It could yeah. have been less racist, but it was not atrociously racist to the level that I was expecting, which is not in (laughs) any way a compliment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, pretty much it's like I set the bar real low and they did just manage to get over it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like I said, definitely the best Fox News book we've read, but that's not a compliment. Not, no. And, like, my issue is that he manages to write pretty much an entire book about, you know, the end of the Civil War and Lincoln's assassination and all of these Confederate plots without really talking about Black people at all. Right. And I was just sort of like, you know, slavery was kind of a big deal. <laughs> like, he he mentions it occasionally, but but not enough to give you a context. You just think, like, yay, the war is over. He talks about mistreatment of horses way more than he talks about mistreatment of black people. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, like, mentions that, you know, I think one of the, like, maybe two or three mentions in this entire 300-page book of former slaves is, like, when Lincoln is going into, I think, Richmond, and, you know, crowds are gathering, and in those crowds it includes, um, you know, freed slaves. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. The two the two parts that I remember, that too, that where he addressed Black people at all, is that um, one of the, the servants, the butler in, what was it, Seward's house? Yeah. yeah. I didn't like that. Black, 
and he pointed out the whoever the assassin was to people, but they ignored him because yeah. he was black. And then there was another black guy who implicated one of the other conspirators, and they also ignored him. And I think that guy, that was Jones, right? And I think he even, like, got away. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, and I guess it's implied that that was bad, but it's really, it's dealt with strangely, I guess. Or just, like, very, like, just casually dropping this in. And then anyway, Lincoln was great, though, right? Yeah. Especially the, the, um, Seward's... Uh, Butler, because I felt like the text was saying, the text was trying to say, like, you know, oh, people didn't believe him because he was black and that's wrong and racist. And if they had, you know, they could have stopped this sooner. But the implication of the text felt not, not good towards the Butler. Almost like it was victim blaming the Butler. Yeah. Yeah. But then, like, but that was like the tone of the text. But then the explicit language later was people were racist and that was bad. But that was not necessarily what I felt reading those earlier passages. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And I don't know. He he keeps describing Lincoln as, you know, the most hated man in America. Like everyone, you know, in the South hates Lincoln. But he never mentions why. Right. <laughs> and... That was what got me where I'm like, you can't talk about why the South hates Lincoln without mentioning slavery at all. Yeah, he just really doesn't want to go into it. Like, he would much rather talk about horses. <laughs> How sexy John looks stupid. Uh-huh, a lot about that. But but yeah, I think that that was where I was like, well, it wasn't terribly offensive. And then I was like, well, yeah, because he doesn't mention it at all. Right. And I, I guess I would... Again, I, I think I probably would prefer that he sidesteps it this way than to read some kind of, like, racist mess of him trying. Yeah, but really, that's really, what I would prefer is that he just didn't try any of this at all and hadn't written any of these. I really wish he didn't write this book, yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Either of these books, both of them. Yeah. hindsight is twenty twenty. Correct. <laughs> Do we have any anything else we want to bring up before we move on to our dramatic readings? Give y'all. Um, let me see. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, the plot of the book. We all know the plot. Uh, John Wilkes Booth shoots Lincoln, and he dies. Yeah. Oh, I do want to share the fun fact I found, which is apparently that the National Park Service recommended that Ford's Theater uh, not sell this book in the bookstore because of all the factual inaccuracies. Well, good. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing is, like, I expected what? it. To be more factually inaccurate than it was but he just got a lot of little things wrong that was just sort of weird mm-hmm. like if you're gonna you know if you're gonna write a book at least get you know facts straight <laughs> if you're gonna write a history book you have to like not say that like king tut was assassinated when according to wikipedia he was not <laughs> um so yeah i blame the fact checker for not checking wikipedia right but... <laughs> One of the interesting things that I noticed that is not necessarily specifically linked to this book or the story of Lincoln, but kind of more to history as a whole, just the thing that I noticed that was interesting to me is how many pictures, like the kid's book is, I don't know, like 200, 300 pages long. And there's a... With a lot of pictures. 
a, yeah, a lot of pictures. And a lot of the pictures, like, sometimes the pictures are vaguely related to what's going on. And a lot of times, especially as we get closer to the actual assassination assassination date, it's just random related things kind of shoved in wherever. And there were a lot of drawings of Lincoln actually getting shot. Like, a lot of illustrations of Wilkes holding a gun to his head, of him slumping over, of of him, like, being killed. And it's interesting to me to think how today everyone is, I, I feel rightly, putting all this, you know, whenever the media publishes a video or a photo of someone dead or dying and there's a lot of uproar about like oh like this is what's happened like this is is the society we've turned into where we seek out pictures like this and like i don't seek those out and i don't think we should show them but clearly back in the 1860s if that had existed people would have been all over that shit like yeah <laughs> i i i feel like the reason why it's happening now is not because we're a, a more corrupt society, but because we have the tools to have those things closer to our disposal. Like, cause there are a lot of pictures of Lincoln getting shot in this book, mm-hmm. like drawings that people have done. And that I, I thought was disturbing. And then, you know, started to think about it a little bit further, but yeah. Yeah. I, if they had had, you know, iPhones and YouTube when Lincoln was shot, you know, everyone in that theater would have taken a photo. Oh yeah. <laughs> cause yeah, I think that's just how, people work (laughs) which is sad (laughs) even um like i just read a young adult nonfiction about the lizzie borden murders i think it was just called the lizzie borden murders i'm gonna double check that but it talks in it about how graphic the crime scene photos were um and how people really uh were captivated by these photos and like appalled by the photos. And it was kind of one of the earliest crime scene photos. And I was like, Oh shit. And then I got to the middle section and there were some reprinted photos. And I was like, going to see some fucked up crime scene photos, but then they're not in the book, but they spent so many pages talking about like how fucked up the crime scene photos were. And I was like, you can't do that. You can't tell me about it and then not put them in there. They are all on the internet though. <laughs> yeah. Really like them. Like well, other I- than that, I thought the book was good. Um, but I don't, and then it was like, I don't even like gory stuff. Like, I don't normally seek that out, but okay, I just pulled it up. It's called The Borden Murders, colon, Lizzie Borden and the Trial of the Century by Sarah Miller. Uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty good middle grade YA nonfiction about the Borden murders, but it did have that thing of like, not gonna show you these photos. Which also, then I did look at them online, and they honestly are really not that shocking by today's standards, partly because they're not that good and you can't really tell what's happening. Yeah, I, I think I've seen them, and they're like, yeah, they're black and white, and you just see, like, a pair of feet, and then just, like, if it were in color, you know, you would see a lot of blood, but right. as it is, you know, it, it's It's hard it's to just tell dark. what's blood and, like, what's the clothing, yeah. Yeah, what's blanket, you know. But still, I would have liked to have those photos in the book to be like, oh, huh, they're not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let's move on to our dramatic readings, I guess. <laughs> then that's a, that's our final point. Because <laughs> the Lizzie Borden murders are not that bad. <laughs> I mean, the the Borden family crime scene photos are not that bad. Murder is bad. I'm gonna... That's my controversial statement. 
Is that murder is bad? That's the moral of the story. Good. John Wilkes Booth is evil, and murder is bad. (laughs) And Bill O'Reilly is bad, also. Is our moral? (laughs) Oh yeah. All right. So dramatic readings. Uh, I'm gonna start off with a a section from Killing Lincoln, which is the grown-up version, and in. Well, I'll just get into it because you'll find out what it's about in like one second. Booth is such a skilled actor and charismatic liar that no one outside the secessionist movement, not even his fiancée, has known the depth of his rage. Until today. Booth's betrothed, Lucy Lambert Hale, is the daughter of John Parker Hale, a staunchly pro-war senator from New Hampshire. She is dark-haired and full-figured, with blue eyes that have ignited a spark in the heart of many a man. Like Booth, she is used to having her way with the opposite sex, attracting bows with a methodical mix of flattery and teasing. But Lucy is no soft touch. She can quickly turn indifferent and even cruel toward her suitors if the mood strikes her. Strikingly pretty, Lucy appeals to Booth's vanity. When they are together, heads turn. The couple's initial passion was enough to overcome societal obstacles, at least in their minds. By March 1865, their engagement isn't much of a secret anymore, and they are even seen together at the second inaugural. But in the past month, with Lucy possibly accompanying her father to Spain and Booth secretly plotting against the president, their relationship has become strained. They have begun to quarrel. It doesn't help that Booth flies into a jealous rage whenever Lucy so much as looks at another man. One night, in particular, he went mad at the sight of her dancing with Robert Lincoln. Whether or not this has anything to do with his pathological hatred for the president will never be determined. Side note, probably yes. Uh, Booth has told her nothing about the conspiracy or his part in it. She doesn't know that his hiatus from the stage was extended by his maniacal commitment to kidnapping Lincoln. She doesn't know about the secret trips to Montreal and New York to meet with other conspirators, nor about the hidden caches of guns or the buggy that Booth purchased specifically to ferry the kidnapped president out of Washington, nor about the money transfers that fund his entire operation. She doesn't know that his head is filled with countless crazy scenarios concerning the Lincoln kidnapping. And she surely doesn't realize that her beloved has a passion for New York City prostitutes and a sizzling young Boston teenager named Isabel Summer, oh, Sumner, just 17 years old. Lucy knows none of that. All she knows is that the man she loves is mysterious and passionate and fearless in the bedroom. Gross. And then I'm going to skip ahead of some more gross stuff and then just read you this one more paragraph. Booth tells the desk clerk that Lucy isn't feeling well and that they will take their evening meal in the bedroom. Upstairs, there is ample time for lovemaking before their food is delivered. But the acts of intimacy that made this trip such an exotic idea have been undone by the news about Richmond. They will never make love again after tonight, and both of them sense it. Rather than spend the night together, Booth and Lucy pack their bags and catch the evening train back to Boston, where she leaves him to be with friends. Booth is actually relieved. He has made his choice. Now no one stands in his way. I mean, gross. Just gross, basically. (laughs) 
And weird. Gross and weird is my yeah. summation of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know about John Locke's booth sex life. No. <laughs> but now we do. And now you do too. Sorry you listened to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There are no equally sexy um, selections from the children's version of the book. So I will be reading a selection from that that talks about John Wilkes Booth and his co-conspirators. John Wilkes Booth leans against a tall tree as the crowd surges by. He is close enough that Lincoln will be a mere pistol shot away. With him are David Harold and Lewis Powell. Harold is a former pharmacy clerk who was born and raised in Washington, D.C. Like Booth, he possesses matinee idol good looks. And he is more educated and rugged. Harold received his pharmacy training from Georgetown College, and he is fond of spending his leisure time with a rifle in his hand, hunting animals. Side note, as Kate said, this is reads like a personal ad. Um, <laughs> it was John Surratt who introduced the two four months earlier. Since then, Harold has been an impassioned and committed member of Booth's team. Louis Pell, who also goes by the name Louis Payne, is a 20-year-old who served as a Confederate soldier and spy before joining Booth's cause. The youngest in Booth's group, Pal is tall, powerfully built, and very handsome, except that his face is misshapen on one side, the result of a mule's kick. He is also a dangerous young man with a violent, quick temper. Booth hasn't told the others that the plan has changed from kidnapping to assassination. He brought them along to hear Lincoln's speech, hoping that some phrase will fill them with rage. When it does, Booth will let them in on his new plan. Soon, Lincoln stands before an open second-story window, a piece of paper in one hand. The mere sight of Lincoln thrills the crowd. The applause rolls on and on and on, continuing even as Lincoln tries to speak. Looking out into the audience, he prepares to tell them about the task ahead and how the ability to trust the southern states to peacefully rejoin the Union will be as great a challenge to the nation as the war itself. It is, in fact, a downbeat speech, almost in an informal State of the Union address designed to undercut the revelry and prepare the country for years of more pain and struggle. Uh, the president begins gently. We meet this evening not in sorrow, but in gladness of heart, Lincoln says. He thanks General Grant and the Army for their struggle and promises to have a national day of celebration very soon, with a great parade through Washington. The speech is so long and so unexciting that people in the audience begin shifting their feet and then lowering their heads and slipping away into the night off to search for a real celebration. Booth stays, of course. He doesn't want to miss a single word. He listens as Lincoln talks of extending voting rights to literate blacks and those who fought for the Union. Booth seethes at the outrageous notion that slaves be considered equal citizens of the United States. He points to the Colt Navy revolver on Powell's hip. The Colt has more than enough pop to kill Lincoln from such a close range. Shoot him now, Booth commands Powell. Put a bullet in his head right this instant. So yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it didn't. He got killed later. It's on the title. I should preface this by saying we've still got three more days to go before he dies. To the but you know, um, yeah. When when we were discussing how they sort of in- include Booth's kind of racism without any qualifiers uh yeah that that's a that's a key example yeah all right 
I'm going to finish us up here with a reading from what is probably my favorite part of the children's version of the book, which is the afterword where they give us some little like, and this is what happened to everyone after biographies. And some of them made me literally laugh out loud. They're, um, they're the rest of the story. They are the rest of the story that we now know after having read them. Robert Todd Lincoln went on to a stellar career as an attorney and then public official. He served as Secretary of War from 1881 to 1885 during the James Garfield and Chester Arthur administrations and served as U.S. Minister, as ambassadors were called then, to Great Britain from 1889 to 1893 under Benjamin Harrison. Although he was not present at Ford's theater when his father was assassinated, he was an eyewitness to Garfield's assassination in 1881 and was nearby when President William McKinley was assassinated in 1901. Robert Todd Lincoln died in his home in Vermont at the age of 82, though not before attending the dedication of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. in 1922. He is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. And here's Andrew Johnson. Few men could have successfully followed Abraham Lincoln as president, but Andrew Johnson proved particularly inept. His reconstruction policies were bitterly divisive to the point that he warred openly with Congress. He dodged impeachment but was not elected to office in 1868. Later in life, Johnson was re-elected to the Senate, but soon afterward, he died from a stroke on July 31, 1875. Lafayette Baker became an instant celebrity for finding Lincoln's killer. The detective wrote a best-selling memoir in 1867, History of the United States Secret Service. In the book, he detailed his role in finding John Wilkes Booth. Several of his claims, including that he'd handed Booth's diary to Edwin Stanton, led to a congressional investigation into Stanton's role in the disappearance of the diary. Soldiers had given Baker the diary upon returning to Washington with Booth's body. Baker then gave it to Stanton, who locked it in the safe for almost two years, never telling investigators that he had the important historical document in his possession. The publication of Baker's memoir provoked a great public demand for Stanton to produce the diary. He did so reluctantly. Baker became increasingly paranoid after the congressional investigation, certain that he would be murdered. And he was right. Just 18 months after the investigation, he was found dead in his home in Philadelphia. (laughs) Major Henry Reed Rathbone present in the box on the night Lincoln was shot, later married Clara Harris. In 1882, Rathbone was appointed as a U.S. diplomat to, a US diplomat to Germany. The following year, he went insane and killed his wife with a knife. He was institutionalized for the remainder of his life. Uh, and I think that was it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of them are just regular or bland, but a lot of them, yeah, it was like, Every everything in this is much more interesting than m- most of what is in your actual book. There's another one. Who was it? Oh, it was uh, the guy who shot Booth, who like went crazy because of the mercury used in making hats. Yeah. Also, in the adult one, we oh learned that he, um, oh, what's it called? Castrated. Yeah, himself. he castrated himself with scissors. 
because he had a lustful thought. <laughs> we, we told you this book was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Too yeah. sexy. Yeah, they had, um, in the adult version, they also had those little, um, you know, summaries. And I could say uh, Rathbones was a lot longer and more in-depth <laughs> than just like, and then one day he stabbed his wife to death. <laughs> yeah, just like you do. Like you do. <laughs> like you do. All right, so that's that's these books-ish yep. this happened. So now we're going to move on and play some Would You Rather, as well as a bonus game. And I think we'll actually start off with our bonus game, which in the in the spirit of the title Killing Lincoln, we are calling Fucking Marrying Killing. <laughs> and we will we'll play this with a cast of characters of the, all the historical figures that Bill O'Reilly has written a killing book about. So our options are Lincoln, Kennedy, Patton, Reagan, and Jesus. And since there's five of those, our rules are that you can pick one to marrying and one to fucking, and then you got to do three to killing. So who wants to go first? <laughs> it's honestly, it's like pretty easy, I feel like. It is pretty easy. I'm going to go first. Okay. <laughs> I would fuck Kennedy because no, that was I'm sorry, Kate, thing. Kate, you're fucking. Fucking. It's I all Jaren's. This game is all Jaren's. <laughs> I, I, I would fucking Kennedy because that apparently was a thing people did and he was good at. So, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I would marry Lincoln because he seems like, you know, a solid dude. And I would killing Patton, Reagan, and Jesus. <laughs> Hard same. <laughs> Hard saming. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say same as well. The only thing, I mean, I guess I would feel a little bad about killing Jesus, but also, I mean, that's that's like what he's here for. Exactly. That was my thought. Yeah, would you the most for killing him? Yeah. Otherwise, you know, he we wouldn't be saved. So, so someone has to kill Jesus. It's just gotta happen. Someone has to killing Jesus. <laughs> Seancing. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
that. I like how in the adult version, I don't know if they did this in the kids' version, apparently uh, Ulysses says Grant's wife, Julia, um, they got the invitation to hang out with the Lincolns at the theater, and Julia was like, fuck no, I hate that bitch. We're leaving. It was milder in the children's version, but yes. It actually, yeah. I'm pretty sure in the children's one, it said she thought she was unstable, and I was like, that's... Unstable and a gossip. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the worst things you could be. And that's why I want to hang with Mary Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to hang with Julia. <laughs> right. <laughs> Alright, so that was fucking Mary and killing, and now we'll move on to <laughs> our re- regular game of Would You Rather, and... I will ask, would you rather go back in time and save Lincoln from being assassinated or go back in time and stop Hamilton from dueling Burr? See, this is difficult because Lincoln seems like a good guy. But, you know, so if you stop that from happening, I don't know. Okay, I would say that I would save Lincoln because if I stopped Hamilton from dueling Burr, the musical Hamilton wouldn't exist. Same. Exact yeah, same reasoning. Really sad. Exact same reasoning. <laughs> yeah, actually, same reasoning. And and also, you know, reconstruction and hopefully better, you know, end to the war and stuff. But really, it comes down to Hamilton. Yeah. One hondo. Yeah. Okay. Assuming that for reasons unrelated to this podcast, you had to read another one of these books, would you rather read Killing Jesus or Killing Reagan? I think I'd rather read Killing Reagan just because I'm really interested in what it's about since Reagan didn't actually die during his assassination attempt. Yeah. Well, and and the story, I mean, I don't all I know about it really is from the musical Assassins, but like the yeah. whole like Jodie Foster element of it, like it seems like there's probably an interesting story in the assassination attempt. Yeah. I mean, all I know about it is also only from Assassins, but you know, I like assassins. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I was originally going to go with killing Jesus just because I wanted to see how he spun that with no real, because there's not a lot of historical evidence. So I was wondering how biblical that one would be. Mm-hmm. But but I forgot about Jodie Foster. And <laughs> I, I really like Jodie Foster. And like we said um, with this book, the conspiracy theories were kind of the best part. So I think Killing Reagan, if there were more conspiracy theories, um, I would be totally into that. Yeah. Yeah, I I am kind of interested in Jesus for the reason you said, but... Well, okay, I guess we're all... I guess really what we'd want to read is a biography of Jodie Foster, I think we just learned. (laughs) Yes, actually. (laughs) With With a hefty chapter on the Reagan assassination attempt in its relation to her. Yes. Yeah. But but written by someone that's not Bill O'Reilly. Correct. Yes. Written by actually no one related to Fox News. Just so or, so really, yeah. we don't want to read either of these books, and we just want to like watch a Jodie Foster biopic. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. Or that just Assassins of the Musical. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, contrary to the normal rules of Would You Rather, I'll allow it. Uh, we reject <laughs> both of these books and instead we'll just go watch Assassin's the Musical. <laughs> and, okay, and to balance it out, we'll also watch Jesus Christ Superstar. And I think oh, that's going to teach us way more than either of these books. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I like that. 
<laughs> and last up, ooh, we didn't talk about this, but we will right now. Would you rather be a sockdologizing old man trap or get a date on Christian Mingle? So the sockdologizing old man trap is the line that happened right when um, Will uh, Booth killed Lincoln because it was the um, our American cousin. He was knew American- it was a laugh line. Like he knew everyone as soon as he said it, there'd be like raucous laughter and it would cover up the gunshot noise. Yes. Oh, and this is another example in the children's version of where he doesn't give enough information. Because he's like, and our American cousin was such a famous play, and it introduced words into the English language that like we still use today, like sockdologizing. And I was like, no, we don't. I don't even know what that means. I think I understand what he was talking about there because we didn't mention this at first, but both books are written entirely in the present tense. Oh yeah, um, to give them more of a sense of immediacy, I guess. Um, oh, so you think he meant that? Now uh, yeah, is how, it 1860s? Yeah, that's I think, how I interpreted it, was that it, it brought all these terms into use then. Yeah. And then but, we don't really use them anymore because we don't really, I imagine, perform this play anymore because the president died during it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I originally thought, like, Renata, that, like, he meant that they use it to this day. And I was like, no, they don't. Right. <laughs> but now we do. We are using it. <laughs> now we will use it every day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, of course, I would choose to get a date via our sponsor, Christian Mingle. Uh, they are a, a good website with things. They probably wouldn't kill killing Lincoln. No. They definitely wouldn't killing Jesus. They would marrying Jesus, I think. I think that's the, I think that's the <laughs> ultimate goal of the website, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the hard same, obviously. Um, well, considering I'm already a sockdologizing old man trap, um, I would get a date on Christian Mingle um, and support your wonderful sponsor. Excellent. We appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for playing Would You Rather and fucking marrying killing. <laughs> and now we'll move on to our reader's advisory where we suggest suggest books to read instead of or in addition to this one. Probably instead of. Don't really recommend this. Yeah. No, don't do it. <laughs> right. um, so I don't actually remember everything thing about this book um but there's a book called chasing lincoln's killer by james swanson that came out i don't know a few years ago but when it came out i book talked it constantly like i really liked it i guess but it was on as my like one of my nonfiction book talking picks for like every teacher and librarian visit that i did yeah for that well period. and that like this is a young reader's adaptation of an adult book of and the adult version is Manhunt the 12 day chase for Lincoln's killer by James Swanson. Now that you say that I remember that. Yeah. So like I said and um I mentioned earlier this is not like similar but I mentioned earlier the boy who harnessed the wind. I really I wasn't complaining about that being adapted. Like I think it's a really good book. I think you can adapt an adult book for young readers and that can be a really like you know, it can be a good story for multiple age levels. I think that's fine. But this was not done well for adults or for children. But James Swanson, you, you can stay. Yeah. Shante, you stay with your Lincoln books. <laughs> um, but I like that one. And 
another sort of related one, if you wish there was more military history in Ooh. the kids' version, <laughs> there is a like kind of Civil War military history technology book called Mr. Lincoln's High Tech War by Thomas Allen that I think came out around the same time that I also, it was not necessarily my cup of tea, but it was very popular with kids who were into that. Um, we already mentioned Assassins in a Musical, but if you're not familiar, I mean, I've actually never seen it. I would love to, but just from listening to the music, I love it. It's, um, it's about the different assassins or would-be assassins of American presidents. Uh, if you listen to the Broadway cast recording, Neil Patrick Harris is in it, and he's great. And there's like a five-minute song called The Ballad of Booth that I honestly feel like taught me more useful information about Booth than this entire <laughs> book did. And it the, a lot of the songs use direct quotes from like letters or historical documents. So it's honestly, the song is probably more factually accurate as a whole than this book also. So Assassins, check it out. <laughs> And of course, we've mentioned this before. We we at Worst Bestsellers love Sarah Vowell, and she has a book called Assassination Vacation, where she takes road trips to visit uh, different sites related to U.S. presidential assassin assassinations, as you could guess from the title. And it's really great. It's funny, but it also does have a lot of interesting historical information about the different assassinations, including obviously this one. She also talks about Assassins the Musical in her books. It's kind of a two for one. Would yes. definitely recommend, especially the audiobook, because uh, she gets different uh, comedians mostly to read the different presidents and historical figures, and it's a really solid audiobook. Check it out if you haven't already. Yeah. And, you know, obviously also listen to Hamilton um, if you haven't done that yet. But it's also a musical and it's also about American history. And there's also people getting shot with guns in it. So it's super relevant. At, yeah. And trips to the theater that are ill-fated. Yeah. 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 Um, definitely. If you're interested in people getting shot in the past, just listen to Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and who's not? <laughs> and who's not, really. Um, okay, so for my selections, I went to the to the adult side. So if you are a grown-up, uh, and I hope you're a grown-up if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, we use um, inappropriate language for youths. Yeah, I believe it's marked as explicit on <laughs> iTunes. So, um, but the first one is actually came out a few years ago. It's called The Fiery Trial, Abraham Lincoln and American Slavery. Uh, it's by the historian Eric Foner, and it's highly academic so unlike this book it's very accurate um but it, it sort of goes through kind of lincoln's evolving views of slavery and of um african americans so it, it goes sort of it, it's just really interesting it shows how his thinking evolved both from like his child you know over the course of his life and especially over the course of the civil war and Eric Foner is great because, you know, he's a really great scholar, but he can also write in a really engaging way. Also, the book Confederate Reckoning by Stephanie McCurry sort of gives you a more of that, you know, view of the South and what they were doing. Also very well written. <laughs> and uh, the book This Republic of Suffering, Death in the American Civil War by Drew Gilpin Faust um, is a really kind of neat look at... Um, at how Americans, you know, reacted to death, uh, which was sort of all over the place during the Civil War, obviously. 
and PBS actually made this into an exper American experience documentary. So if you don't want to sit down and read a book, you can watch that. And it's about two or three hours long. <laughs> Excellent. And we at Worst Bestsellers often will advocate for just watch a movie. Just don't yeah. read any of these books. Just watch a movie. So that sounds yeah. very solid. Yeah. Real, and real good at that. And it's free. <laughs> it's free. I think, it's, I think it's on Netflix, but it's definitely on like PBS website. And Drew Kilpin Faust is awesome. So. Yeah. Awesome. Also, this isn't really recommendations, but uh, when I was looking up this book on Amazon, three of the books that were recommended to me, it was like all other Bill O'Reilly, other Fox News, other Civil War history. And then it was Love Letters, a Rose Harbor novel by Debbie Maycomer, Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, and Owen, book one of the Tudor trilogy by Tony Riches, which is a fictional historical novel. And that just made me laugh a lot. Just no, no context, no whatever, just also recommended to customers who liked this book. So maybe you want to read one of those instead. Other people seem to have wanted to read them. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw out one last recommendation before I move on. Uh, it's it's maybe a one step removed, but it's Confederates in the Attic, Dispatches from the Unfinished Civil War by Tony Horowitz. It's narrative nonfiction about Civil War reenactors, um, particularly, you could guess from the title, Confederates. And just, it's funny, but it's also kind of a thoughtful look at some of the legacy of the Civil War, especially in the South. And maybe, I think actually Bill O'Reilly should have read it before... Maybe it would have encouraged him to be a little bit more thoughtful about the legacy of Solor. But, I, you know, it's fun. It's a fun and thoughtful read if you're into that. Oh, yeah. And um, actually, to add on to that, there's a book called Race and Reunion, The Civil War in American Memory by David Blight. And it also sort of looks at the lingering, kind of the lingering memory and um, cultural impact of the Civil War. But it's also very thick, so you might just want to watch that documentary. <laughs> Solid. Just, yeah, watch Assassins, watch that documentary, and just move on. <laughs> yeah, and listen to the audiobook of the Sarah Val one, and you're good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't even have to touch paper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have these and other suggestions up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. Check them out if you are interested. And now we will move on to our candy pairing, where we suggest a candy to accompany this book. I chose something that is not necessarily a candy, but it's close, which is Boy Scout popcorn, because it tastes, you know, mostly fine, but you feel guilty eating it knowing where it came from. And they have uh, caramel corn, which is basically candy. Basically. Yeah. I chose um, a bad mystery dum-dum, because, I mean, I get a dum-dum when I go to the bank, and I'm always mad when I have to go to the bank in person. So I that's like how with this book, I started off just mad that I had to read it. And then it wasn't like so bad. So it's kind of like, oh, and then I got a sucker. But then I opened the wrapper and it was like some kind of gross garbage flavor that I couldn't really tell what it was. And that's this. Yeah. And I chose those sort of fancy looking old timey hard candies that have like flowers and stuff in them. And I chose that because, like this book, you would often find it in your grandmother's house. Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's not terrible, but they've obviously, like, just been out too long and they just sort of taste kind of ugh. And you kind of wish you hadn't eaten them. 
All right. And now we'll move on to our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Caitlin will choose which would most enhance the book or choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would have replaced Lincoln's shitty drunk bodyguard, which is something we didn't get into. Um, Lincoln's like bodyguard on that day, because he had been threatened with assassination so many times, he did have like the proto secret service in place. And the guy who was on that day was like the shittiest one. And he was always late, but he was still, and he had gotten in trouble when he was a police officer, but somehow hadn't gotten fired and had instead been promoted to be the president's bodyguard. So at the Ford's theater that night, he got bored sitting in the chair because he couldn't watch the play with everyone else because he had to guard the hallway. So he went next door to the bar and drank and left his post wide open. So Booth was able to just kind of walk in. Um, there was, it did turn out another guy came and sat down there, but not because they were trying to do a solid necessarily, but yeah. So this drunk guy was not doing his job is the point. Um, so if the rock were in this book, he would have replaced the shitty drunk bodyguard and he never would have left his post guarding the president. Thus Booth wouldn't have been able to get into the presidential box and Lincoln would have been saved. All right. Well, if uh, Wolverine were in this book, Kitty Pride would send him back in time to save President Lincoln from assassination. And they would probably also compare notes about beard and um, sideburn uh, maintenance. And then, you know, Wolverine would go back to the future. Hmm. <laughs> I think I, I would have to go with The Rock for this one, just because I've seen pictures of him in a suit. Mm. and he looks really good in a suit (laughs) so i'm assuming he would wear a suit while he was like his bodyguard and i kind of like the idea of him like roughing up booth and you know kind of you know saving the president that way though i also like the idea of a lot of stabbing with hand claws but i have to go with the rock legit yeah i like you you took me to like a mental like sexy fan fiction place (laughs) even though you didn't like spell it out (laughs) Uh, which I, I think also Bill O'Reilly would have appreciated also given his intense focus on the male body in this book. I think he really would have liked it if The Rock were in the, in history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would have lovingly described like every aspect of The Rock. And <laughs> I'm down with that. I'm very down with that. And as we always say, there's no losers in Rock Paper Snicked except paper, but who cares about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess presumably if paper, when paper wins, it means we actually read a good book. So then we're the yeah. winners. Cause we it's true. Who wins that? Yeah. Nobody wins when Bill O'Reilly writes a book. Right. Correct. Which is why you need The Rock or Wolverine mm-hmm. or both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, and that's the moral of the story is that we need The Rock or Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also we'll, we'll move on and say our other morals of the story. My moral of the story is if bazillions of people are threatening to murder you, probably you should do a better job hiring trustworthy security. Mine is uh, just stay home. (laughs) And mine is if you think the world really needs another popular history of the Lincoln assassination and that you should be the one to write it, just don't. Just please don't. (laughs) Excellent advice to all those authors out there. All right, now we will move on to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte has a designated space to share his opinions on the book. 
my gosh. Dora Day, I'm sorry. I know it was exhausting to have to read two books this time. And I know you do have a very busy schedule that this ate into. So I am sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) We know. We know. We're sorry. Next time, it'll be an easy one. We promise. Yeah. And I know that President Lincoln really loved cats. And I also, you know, I definitely think that should have been in there. And that if he had had a a cat instead of that shitty bodyguard, he might still be alive. Maybe not today, but he would have been alive after that day. (laughs) (laughs) If he had a cat, he'd be immortal. He'd still be here now. (laughs) And that is the moral of this podcast. (laughs) Lincoln for president 2016. <laughs> uh, do, <laughs> do any humans have any closing thoughts other than this, which is amazing? <laughs> uh, um, just that it's not as bad as I thought it'd be, but it was still bad, so don't read it. <laughs> yeah, it's not like this is an obscure topic where it's like, I really want to read something about Lincoln, but there just aren't any good books about it, so I guess I'll read this one. There's a hundred million books about Lincoln. Well, we gave you some. Don't read this one. Just Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, being, as we said earlier, being the best Fox News book that we've ever read is not necessarily a compliment. It's, yeah. I mean... It's technically a compliment. It's just a bad compliment. <laughs> it's a backhanded compliment. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's no indicator of, of general quality. Right. Just a very specific subset of quality. Exactly that. Oof. Yeah. All right. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Well, kind of. <laughs> the part after you read the book was fun. After reading the book, it was fun. <laughs> All right. Well, you can follow us as a podcast on Worst Bestseller with no S. You can like us on Facebook at Worst Bestseller spelled normally. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 Across. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Wells K W E L L S C A I. Someday I may post something. <laughs> You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you do, please rate and review us. That moves us up in the charts so that more people can find us and discover us and be warned off of these terrible books. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, then unfortunately we might have to send someone out to killing you. But that's okay. (laughs) But if you do write us a nice review, maybe we'll marry you. If you're (laughs) fucking you. I don't fucking before marrying. (laughs) I don't fucking before killing either. (laughs) Right. There's an order to these things. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Thank you all for listening (laughs) to us. (laughs) And we will be back in two weeks with uh, a frequently requested book, One for the Money by Janet Ivanovich. Ivanovic? Ivanovich, I think. Sounds good. <laughs> that. We'll be back with that. Uh, bye. Bye.
edit edit all of this out edit all of this out 